And it said this, if there is one thing that holds millions of people back each day from growing as an individual, achieving high levels of success, and becoming the best version of themselves, fear is definitely at the top of the list. That up. If I start going in and out too much, just simply, I'll just take this thing off.
That's what fear does. So how do we then, how do we as followers of Jesus learn to overcome our fears, the fears that keep us from enjoying the abundant life that God wants us to have? Well, this morning, we're continuing on. We just started the, our long journey in the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew. And what we're going to do, we're going to look at the birth account of Jesus in chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. And in it, what we're going to see is we're going to see one man. We're going to see how one man dealt with the fears that he became faced with due to this incredible dilemma that he was faced with. And really, I think we're going to see how we can apply this to our lives. And by the way... If you missed, if you missed last week's sermon, I would, I would go back. There's like a million hits on YouTube. I'm kidding. Go, on, go to that sermon because what that last week's sermon really does is kind of sets the ground, the ground for this whole series that we're going to be in for a long time. It kind of sets the tone for the whole journey. So if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to go listen to that because if you don't want to watch my face, you can just listen to it. So that's fine. So let's first look at this dilemma. Let's first look at this dilemma that Joseph. What finds himself in. Very familiar story. Let's look at verse 18. It says this. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child in the Holy Spirit. Now, it's important to understand the context here of what's going on. To be, many of you know, to be betrothed or to be pledged back then meant that you were entering into this binding legal commitment that really could only be terminated by divorce. There was this thing of being engaged. You would get this, this was being engaged. This is what it looked like. Um, it lasted up to a year. And during this time, when the couple was living separately in their own homes, they, they, they didn't spend a lot of time together, really. There was, but they were really legally regarded as husband and wife. Yet with all the rights, and the benefits of being married. So they were legally married. So sometime during the betrothal, we see that Mary is found to be pregnant. Now this is no, this is no small dilemma, especially, especially back then. You see, although they really no longer practice this anymore, the Old Testament law, the law of Moses, actually stated that if a betrothed woman was found to have committed adultery, she was to be stoned. Along with the guy she committed adultery with. So they no longer practiced it, but the spirit of that was still very much alive. Now in, our next, now in our next verse, really, we get to see a glimpse of Joseph's character and how he dealt with this. Check this out. Verse 19 says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. And we really do see the character of Joseph here. We see from these verses, first of all, it says, he says that he was a just man. Okay, Joseph was a just man. Now, you understand, the word that is used here for just actually has two closely related meanings. Okay, in the one case, it has to do with being righteous, okay? It has to be with really being an upright, um, upright Jew at the, at the time. It meant that Joseph really was known for really being an uncompromisingly blameless adherer of the Torah, or the Old Testament law, the law of Moses. He was known for that. That's who he was at, the, at his core. And the law at the time required that termination of a betrothal would happen if 
there was adultery. And this is what he just assumed happened. Joseph just assumed there was adultery. The law says this, this gets terminated. We're done here. And so the, uh, the, well, according to this, it was going to be really tough, too. There was two options, really, that he had. Joseph had two options here. He said the first one was to bring a lawsuit to Mary. Now, this would be a very public thing. He would basically sue her for breaking this command. Okay? And Mary would be, there would be a public hearing, and no doubt Mary would be exposed to all sorts of public disgrace. And the other option, though, back then, is you could quietly divorce the person. You'd give them a bill of divorce. You'd have two witnesses with you, and you'd go, and you'd just do this quietly, and it would basically, in a sense, annul their engagement. Okay? And this is what Joseph had in mind to do. Okay? This is what he was thinking, okay, this is what I've got to do. And this is where we see kind of the other meaning of the word just as it describes Joseph. The other meaning has to do with being more of a decent and a reasonable and a fair person. So we see that this is the kind of person that Joseph was also. You see, along with being a very religiously devout man, Joseph was also a very kind-hearted man. We see that, we see that he resolved or he decided to break off this engagement quietly so that Mary wouldn't have to undergo all that scrutiny and all that disgrace that she would probably have to, have to face. No doubt Joseph, man, he must have, can you imagine, he must have agonized over this. This is his woman. He's agonizing over about what's going, he's going to have to do. Yet in his mind, he really simply had no choice. This is what he had to do. Now this is really a low point for Joseph. This is going to be the, one of the lowest points of his life. This is not how things were supposed to go. This wasn't a part of the plan. Have you ever had something like that happen to you? Have you ever had something happen where problems, something happens, there's, there's something that goes on just when you think life is, okay, we're getting a groove here. I think things are going to be okay. I think we're doing all right. We're financially a little bit stable or our health is, is fairly good right now. And when we least expect it, bam! Life goes sideways. We've all probably experienced that to some, some degree. It could be a positive medical diagnosis, a problem at work, or a layoff, or unexpected death in the family. It could be a lapse of judgment in us or someone else close to us that ends up having painful repercussions. Life can be difficult. Yeah. It can be really hard. And it's disappointing at times. And there are things that happen that allow fear to creep in and really to find residency in our hearts and in our minds. That's how life works. That's what the enemy is trying to do to us. Fear that things will never get better. Ever had that? It's just not going to change. How am I going to get out of this? How are we going to dig ourselves out of this? How is this person? They're never going to change. It's going to be my life is going to be hell because of this. We begin to worry, and we begin to worry, and worry. What this shows us, really, is that God does not spare us from difficult and painful situations that can produce fear. He just won't do that. So often people think, why, if God is so good, why is life so hard? If God is so good, why let my child go so far off the deep end? How, why did I lose my job? Why is this depression or this anxiety or my, my mate was unfaithful? Why would he allow this to happen? We see that God is not the kind of God that's going to say, I'm just going to make your life 
super easy. Just better things for us. We're going to see that play out in Joseph's life as life here. As followers of Jesus, in the midst of the difficulty and the disappointing times that produce fear, here's the truth. We can count on God showing up. We can count on Him showing up and giving us the guidance that we need. And that's exactly what happens with Joseph. Let's, look, let's keep going. Let's look at verses 20 and 21. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So, I'm sure... Joseph is probably having experienced a lot of sleepless nights here. This is, you know, the impetus that are either for sleepless in Seattle, just nuts, nothing. Compared to this guy, this guy must be tossing, turning, not able to sleep. What I, I know what I've got to do, but I don't want to do it. And he's as he's pondering over the actions that he knows he needs to take. You know, when he does finally fall asleep, this angel comes to him and visits him in a dream and tells him that what has been conceived in Mary was not done in the natural way. Okay, it wasn't done. That had never happened before, but it never it wasn't done in a natural way, but it was done by the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to see here that the, whole, that the angel actually gives Joseph two very explicit commands here. Okay? The first, the first command, the first command that the angel of the Lord gives to Joseph is to not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Don't be afraid. Notice that the angel does not just say, come to him and say, hey, Joseph. This is what's happening. Take Mary to be your wife. He says, do not be afraid. This is important. This is really important. You see, the phrase, this phrase in the, in the original language here, it really should read more something like this. Joseph, there is absolutely nothing for you to be afraid of. There's absolutely nothing. There's no reason at all for you to fear. Don't even hesitate. There's no reason to fear whatsoever. You see, what the angel is doing is he's telling Joseph that there's absolutely no reason to be afraid of the consequences that really are inevitable that will happen to Joseph that he had every right to be afraid of if he married, if he married Mary. I mean, just think about it. Think about the consequences that Joseph had the right, really the right to be afraid of. There's all the judgment and the malicious slander that was going to happen and condemnation from him breaking really the Mosaic law. And really being no longer seen as this blameless and obedient Jew. He had to face that. And oh, what a scandal. <laughs> what a scandal this would be. There is absolutely no way the people in his town were going to believe that an angel came to this couple, this young couple, and caused the conception of a child in the body of a virgin teenage girl. Who would ever believe that? We think, oh yeah, no problem, because we know. That had never happened before. That just seemed ridiculously, pardon the pun, inconceivable. <laughs> Josie, here's the thing. Joseph knew that if he married her, his friends were never going to accept it. I mean, they're not, oh yeah, sure, yeah, right. They weren't going to accept this. There's no way. He wouldn't be invited to their homes anymore. He wouldn't be given, he was a carpenter, he wouldn't be given their business. He would never again 
be admired or respected for being a lover of the Torah, which is what he was known for. You see, if Joseph committed himself to himself to this baby, he would do so at enormous personal sacrifice. His whole reputation would be tarnished forever. This brings us to the second thing. The second thing the angel gives, the angel of the Lord gives to Joseph. He says, name the child Jesus. They're like, no, no, we know that. Of course, been, no, this is important too. This is really, this ties in a lot with what we talked about last week. What the angel is referring to is what we talked about then is concerning what Jesus' identity and his mission. Okay? By naming Jesus, Joseph, what he was doing was actually adopting Jesus. You named a child, that child was your child back then. He was legally adopting him. And this would not only ensure that Jesus would officially uh, have official status as jo Joseph's son and his heir, but it would bring him, this is important, it would bring him into Joseph's lineage. This is vital. It would bring him into the lineage of Joseph. Did you notice how the angel addressed him? He didn't just say Joseph. What did he say? Joseph, son of David. There's a reason he did that. Remember, if you recall from last week, we saw that Matthew is writing this book to convince a primarily Jewish audience that Jesus is, without a doubt, the long-awaited and promised Messiah that would continue in the line of David. It would continue in the line of David's kingdom and would reign on the throne forever and make peace, peace to all nations. And since Joseph, we saw last week, if you look back in your Bible, verse 16 and 7, it says it, that he, it ends, the, the genealogy of Jesus ends with Joseph. And only by adopting Jesus now does Jesus have a legitimate claim to the royal heritage that is promised throughout Scripture about the anticipated Messiah. Okay? He's just, what, Joe, what, what, what Matthew's doing in writing is to say, listen, you've got to hear the underlying truths and the power that is in all this. This is no small thing that the angel is speaking to Joseph here. No small thing that he's asking him to do. On the one hand, he's asking Joseph to put his reputation and his standing in society completely on the line. The other thing, on the other hand, he's asking Joseph to be involved in playing a part in convincing the world that Jesus truly is the Messiah. That's huge. That is a big deal. All these things. So all these things that are happening here. Mary telling Joseph that she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. This angel coming to Joseph and calling him the son of David, telling him to take Mary as his wife and name the child Jesus. All of these things took place in what the next verse says to fulfill what had been promised really hundreds, if not thousands of years ago. This was all going to happen. Verse 22 and 23 says this. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, although 
you know, Joseph had no idea what was going on here. He really didn't have much of an idea what was really happening. But what's happening is Joseph is finding himself at the forefront. He's at the absolute forefront of the culmination of the biggest event in all of human history. Okay, that's how big this is. Now, in verse 24 and 25, look what it says. The last couple of verses we'll look at. He says, we see Joseph, how he responds. We're going to look at how he responds to this command, these two commands that the angel of the Lord gives him in his dream. It says this, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. So we see here that Joseph wakes up from his dream and immediately proceeds to do what the angel of the Lord instructed him to do. He takes Mary as his wife. I was born. Names of Jesus. Now, why? The other thing in there, why Joseph didn't consummate the marriage before Jesus was born, we don't, we don't know. There's no reason why given in the scripture. I mean, one thing it does say, though, it does tell us, though, that it takes away any doubt as to the supernatural identity of who Jesus was. It really does. The supernatural origin of Jesus. Now, notice that the text doesn't say, he doesn't want to say, okay, and Joseph understood what the angel was saying, and therefore he obeyed. And the text doesn't even say that he wasn't scared. It didn't say he had no fear. It just says that he obeyed. Now, was this a blind obedience? Oh, you have to remember he was a just and right. Was it blind? Okay, I have to do this. Was it, a, was it a sense of duty? You've got to remember that Joseph taking Mary as his wife and adopting this child, he was putting everything on the line. He had everything to lose here. So how? How is Joseph able to face these fears? How is Joseph, knowing all that's going to happen in his life from here on out, how does he face his fears Concerning all of the upcoming consequences. How is he supposed to do this? I gotta tell you, what really struck me this week is what this what we see in this passage is what Joseph is doing here is he's demonstrating for us the best way for us to overcome our fears. The best way. And it's found in obedience. Obedience to the Lord's direction and commands based on trust. Amen based on completely, totally on trust. You see, instead of being ruled by his fears of the prospect of a life that definitely wasn't going to turn out like he wanted to or like he expected it to be, he chooses to trust that God had a better plan for him. That God had a better thing going on for him and he chose to obey. It's amazing. The angel of the Lord tells Joseph that there's absolutely no reason to fear, none whatsoever. And he trusts. And he goes, and he says, okay, I trust that what you say is true. Even though the evidence speaks loudly and out of a megaphone, the exact opposite, not true. But he goes, he goes, trust. And actually, this is what motivates Joseph to act. This is what motivates Joseph to be obedient is his trust. You see, overcoming our fears, get this, overcoming our fears is possible only as we step out into obedience to the Lord, as we trust Him 
to empower us to do what he has asked us to do. Let's say that again. Overcoming our fears is possible only as we step out in obedience to the Lord as we trust him to empower us to do what he has asked us to do. Because reality is, if we decide to live in the fear of failure, the fear of being out of our comfort zone, or being judged by other people, or not being accepted by other people, or just looking bad, or just being embarrassed in front of other people, we'll never truly experience the abundant life God has for us to be able to experience. I know what I'm saying, you're thinking to yourself, I know Rob, I've really been in church a long time, oh yeah, I get that. But, wow, that is not easy. Way easier said than done. I know. Way easier said than done. It is so, so difficult. We all know that. Probably one of the toughest commands. We're going to talk about this a little bit. I love this verse. One of the toughest commands that we as followers of Jesus have been given that has to do with dealing with trusting the Lord, trusting God with our fears is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Many of you know this verse, you've memorized it over the years. Great, great verse. It's a verse that's, you know, gotten me through so, so much. We're going to unpack just a tad. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will make straight the paths. The problem a lot of times this verse is one of those things that a lot of times we can hide that in a little bit. It just becomes, it becomes Charlie Brown's teacher. Walk, 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 walk. But it's one of the most profound truths in Scripture and pro profound commands and promises in Scripture that's going to help us to deal with our fears. I don't know about you. But for some reason, it's way easier for me to rely on my own inclinations than other than anything other than the Lord, especially when it comes to my fears. I don't know if you ever fear that. We, fear hits, and it's like we should think, run to the Lord, trust the Lord. But it's like fear hits like, ah! What do I do? How do I fix this? What, how do I get out of this? What's going to smooth this out? What's going to make this better? And some of us, especially that are really, doers, you know, you're a doer. You know who you are. You go right, you go, you're, no hitting your husband in the I saw somebody. You know, you're a doer. And you're like, bam, I know, big, but take the bull by the horn. Let's go, let's do this. We're going to make this happen. Another proverb, 14, 12, says this. There's a way that seems right to a man or a woman, but its end is the way of death. Such a powerful truth. This means that the outcome of relying on our own judgment, our own resources, our own understanding is most often going to lead to failure. That's what this is saying. That's what it means. You see, ultimately trusting means acknowledging. It means acknowledging God's authority in our lives and in all and everything that we do. Dallas Willard says this. I love this quote from him. He says, this is talking about how to do this and trusting what he says. It's learning how to live the life, live the life God has given us in the power of God. It's doing whatever we do in, ex in expectation that God will act with us. It's expecting there to be a movement in my life 
that is more than me. So true. It means trusting. It means trusting that what God asks us to do, He will empower us and give us the resources to do it. He will. If He, if he says, if you are scared to talk to people about Christ, if you are scared to share your faith, worried about doing that, what He's saying is here. If you says that God is telling you to share your faith with your friend, He will give you the power to do that. He will give you the resources to do that. And chances are it'll look nothing like you thought it would. <laughs> chances are it'll be completely something different. So many things. Your sense that you're supposed to reach out to a friend, you're supposed to love someone that's hard to love. All these things we're supposed to do. God has promised that He will be acting in what He is telling us to do. He will provide the power. He will give us the resources to do that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Like I said, I, I, I'm preaching myself this morning. I can back to this. This is for me. It really is for me. You see, Joseph was obedient because he believed that no matter what happened to his reputation or to his standing in the community, God could be trusted to empower him to do ultimately what was the best thing for him. Even though it looked stupid, even though it looked crazy. He could trust that God would empower him, give him the ability to do what God was asking him to do. Now, if you ever thought, if you ever thought what would happen, I thought that's what I wondered every occasionally. What would ever happen if Joseph had not taken this route? What? What if Joseph, after he woke up from that dream, he just decides to go, you know what? Whoa. That is brutal. That, I don't know if I can do it. You know what? I don't think it's worth it. This isn't what I signed up for. I mean, I love God. I love the Torah. I love, I mean, I'm, I'm with you, God. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm into making sacrifices for my faith. And I've made a lot. But this one, oh, this is amazing. This is asking too much. I don't know if I can do that. What would happen? Well, guess what? I think his life would have turned out probably fine. He probably would have found another lovely girl to marry. Got his dream, you know, job being a being a carpenter. He had a nice little carpenter business. People would have come to him. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, you're so good. You obey the law. We're giving you our business because that was that was really rough, man. So we're going we're going to you. He probably would have been okay. He might have done all right for himself. But he probably, although it wasn't, he would have missed out on all the ridicule. I'm about that part. He must. Have, missed out on a life of ridicule and being, what the heck are you thinking? You, you were such a good guy. What the heck? You were on, you were on the top of the list, God's team. What, what happened? You missed it. You missed it, buddy. Why, what? We missed the fact that he would have missed out on all this stuff, but you know what he would have missed out on the most? He would have missed out on Jesus. He would completely miss Jesus. You see, when we choose not to trust, when we choose to let our minds live in fear, when we're afraid to act, when we're afraid to speak up, when we're afraid to forgive, when we're afraid to love, when we're afraid to be patient, or to relinquish control, we don't just miss out on being better people. We miss out on Jesus. We forgot there's 
much more to just being obedient than just being a good person. Obedience leads to knowing Jesus in a deeper, deeper way. And a more fulfilling life. That's what he's saying here. You see, the truth is, you and I can never, and we never will know, what extent that God will go in order to use us in his plan in drawing people to himself. We never know. We just assume, here's my gifts, here's my personality, here's who I am, and I think this is how God's probably going to use me. According to Joseph, that's insane thinking. That's crazy. That's not at all how it worked out. What he's telling us to do is not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Trust. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. Those of us that in church a long time, you know what? Boy, there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Yeah. I mean, it's an old song. I remember that. I've never seen that anymore. Oh my golly, that is, that is where it's at. Trusting and obey and being happy in Jesus. I know that sounds like hee but it being a sense of this is who I am. This is who God created me to be. This is how I experience the abundant life. By doing things as Jesus, by, as Joseph did, by going, That's, this, this is insane. But you know what? You said to not be afraid. I'm going to trust you and not be afraid. Even though everything says I should be scared out of my skull. And he's willing to do it. For most of us, really, if not all of us, what this means is learning the habit of speaking the truth directly to our fear. Okay? Speaking the truth to our fear that God can be completely trusted no matter what. I don't even want to get into it and all that stuff, but, you know, the whole neurological piece of this is big. What we learn to tell ourselves, we create these neurological pathways in our brains that tell us, this is, that automatically cause us to think in certain ways. If over your lifetime you have been convinced that when this happens, I need to be afraid. Guess what happens the next time that happens? And even if you don't want to be afraid, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be afraid. Because you neurologically, that's how wonderful God has made us, created your brain to work that way. So it makes sense that the God that created our brain and the author of all truth would give us truth to be able to speak into our brains and speak into those neurological pathways to create new neurological pathways. That when things happen, and then we, that just seems like, oh my gosh, out of a comfort zone, what are you thinking, God? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Automatically, we don't just go into that, oh, whoa, whoa, We start to go, wait, wait, wait. I have a truth, I have a truth that combats that. Trust, no, no, wait, wait, wait. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You know what? You see what I'm saying? It's a new habit for most of us. It's a habit that most of us not have been practicing throughout our lives. But it sounds like it was a habit that Joseph was practicing before they even knew about the brain. He was already the kind of guy that was putting truth in motion as life played itself out so that when the ultimate whammo happened and the ultimate life going sideways happened, he was able to say, I can trust. I can trust. Because he's already been doing it. You see, the moment that fear begins to grip us, we need to run to the truth of God's word. The truth about who we are in him. 
and how he sees us. I got to tell you, for someone I've shared with you, someone who has an anxiety disorder, this is huge for me. Huge for me. Actually, it's the thorn in the flesh that is the amazing gift to me. Because I constantly am out of my comfort zone. Basically, when I open my eyes in the morning, I'm out of my comfort zone. <laughs> so it's learning to say, okay, this is the day that the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice in that. It's something I probably have said a gajillion times. Most days I wake up. Because I know that I've got to get my head right or fear is going to come in. Anxiety is going to come in and it wants to have control. It's like a big monster that wants to be fed. Your fear is a monster that wants to be fed. It's hungry. It's never, ever, ever satisfied. Ever. It's going to constantly want more and more and more and more. And the only thing that's going to combat that fear is the truth. The truth that we can trust God. And then move into obedience. That is what's going to cure our fear. Yes. What do you struggle with? That you need to trust God to empower you to overcome. What is it in your life? Where's that fear or fears that you know you need to trust God to empower you to overcome that? I mean, maybe it's trusting God by obedient or being obedient. Um, by forgiving someone that wrong you. Not an easy one. No one can see it by a grudge. But maybe you're sensing God wants me to forgive that person. Or sharing your faith. You know that God wants you to share your faith with that friend or that colleague. To come alongside that person. Share your life with them. Come alongside and just live life with them. Not with the agenda of saying, I'm your friend because I want you to become saved. Yeah, I'm your friend because I love you. And man, I sure hope you get saved. Are we willing to do that? Or maybe it's loving that person that is just so darn difficult to love, but you're going to do it because you know it's what God wants you to do. You know God wants you to forgive. You know He wants you to love. But you don't have the power to do it. It's trusting that God can and will give you the power and the resources to be able to do that. But you've got to tell yourself the truth. Because if you're waiting for the feeling to happen, if you're waiting for the opportunity to happen, the monster, the beast that's feeding off the fear is going to push that out of the way. That opportunity is you're never going to, it's not going to happen. You have to make it happen. You have to make that opportunity happen. Whatever it is, whatever that fear is, like Joseph, act in obedience to the Lord by doing what you know he wants you to do and trust that he will be faithful to empower you to live the life that he has for you to live. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, God, that thank you for the example of Joseph, really kind of the forgotten guy in the whole Christmas story. That we see an example of a man who in facing incredible odds against doing the right thing, does the right thing, because he trusts. Help us, each one of us in this room, God. You know the fears that each person in this room is dealing with. I pray, God, that you would help us to trust you and then to be able to be obedient to what you want us to do, whether it's stepping out in faith by sharing our faith or 
or giving up a bad habit, or being in the Word, whatever, being in your Word more, whatever it is, God, I pray for every person in this room that you would reveal it. And this week, we would begin to work on that fear by not trying to overcome it on our own strength, by inviting the God of the universe that created us in His likeness and His image to empower us, help us to trust that truth that we can totally depend on you to be there. It's in your son's name.